Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back, mamas. This podcast episode is an episode you wish you had heard many, many years ago, probably when you first started noticing changes within you as you moved towards adolescence. How was this all described to you way back then? Were you taught to honour and celebrate what was happening to you as you became a woman? Or were you taught to be embarrassed about it, not talk about it in front of your dad, hide things? This question of how we honour becoming a woman is at the core of my conversation with Dr. Nat Kringaudis, today's podcast guest. If you don't know the work of Nat Kringaudis, I'd be surprised. In Australia, she is one of the leading experts on women's hormones and she breaks down something that is often confusing and mysterious in such a way that it makes it easy to understand. And over her years of work, she has spent so long with women struggling with fertility. And in that process, began to wonder if we spoke to girls differently about their cycles, their bodies, listening to what their body is telling them, I wonder if the fertility problems that I'm seeing in my clinic later in life would disappear. It's similar to a question I have. I wonder if we taught girls to honour the changes that they're experiencing as they enter into adolescence differently, if they were proud of their changes in their body, if they celebrated their first period the changing emotions that they have each month, if it was made to feel natural and normal and instead of hidden, would they feel differently about the changes they feel when they enter matrescence too? Would they be less ashamed? Would they hide it less? Would we be able to move through all of the changes a woman goes through in her life? Adolescence, matrescence, menopause differently if we just had a different conversation at the beginning. I know you're going to love this episode. It's something we should all be talking about and with our daughters and sons as well. Enjoy. This is the Happy Mama Movement, a weekly podcast dedicated to changing the conversation about what it means to be a mother and a woman in this day and age. I'm Amy Taylor-Cabaz, author, mama and former journalist. After spending 15 years chasing news and burning myself out trying to be superwoman, 
I realized that I was chasing a dream that no longer served me, and since then have dedicated myself to understanding the transition that we go through as women when our whole identity shifts with motherhood. Every week, I will bring you the very best insights and inspiration I can find to help us all change the way we feel about this time in our lives and create a movement that allows us to honour motherhood differently. Nat, thank you and welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you, this really, really important conversation with you today. Thank you so much. I'm so delighted to sit and talk with you and I think I could probably talk with you all day, so I'm not going <laughs> to have any problems. We won't have any problems. In fact, we just forced ourselves to stop so we can start recording. <laughs> okay. okay, so let's focus in on what I really wanted to speak to you about. I mean, your wealth of knowledge about women's bodies, we could do a whole podcast series about Uh, But what I really want to hone in on in this conversation is how important it is for us as mothers to really understand, appreciate, celebrate, honour our bodies, the cycles, the seasons we move through, the truth of what it means to be a woman so we can show our children how to do it. So where do we start with this conversation? Why are you so passionate about this? What do you see in your clinic? Yeah, you know, I really made my mark with fertility in the women's health space and that was maybe 10 or so years ago where women were coming and nobody was listening to them and we, I guess, just started on this path of curiosity and learning and I truly didn't have the answers for them and I was very honest with them you know they'd come and I'd say I don't know why you have ovulation pain this is not something I learned at at university Um, and really getting curious around these symptoms that I was seeing because the reality was they were modern day symptoms due to our modern day lives Mm. yet what I'd learned and what we'd all learned and what science was telling us was you know, not up to date. So in treating these women, I had to go on another path of discovery. Point being is that I one day just had this epiphany that if we were fixing these women when they were teenagers, when these problems first arose, where they didn't get a period, say, or they had painful or irregular or awful periods, we wouldn't be seeing them 12, 13, 15, 20 years later when they were ready to have children. And because they'd used something to mask those symptoms or never fully been tested or explored, they were shocked when they stopped taking birth control or whatever they were using to manage what was going on for them to learn that not only was the problem still there, it was 10 times worse because it was never addressed. And so, you know, it really got me thinking as to how can I reach out to young women to show them that their body is always talking to them and that if you actually stop and listen you can work out what's going on and you know I like to say I'll be a detective in your life I'll get in there and I'll work it out I don't necessarily need tests because there are so many signs and symptoms Mm. and so many clues tests help don't get me wrong and we love them but you know it's very often obvious as to what we can do. And when you see the same thing over and over again, you get very um, savvy at at being able to diagnose people. That's 
what your job is. So, you know, that's really how I landed here. And, you know, again, I never had a resource like this to teach me about my body. However, when I was a young woman, my mum handed me a pamphlet. It was probably 16 pages. It was glossy and it had all these cross-sections of, you know, the uterus and cervix and and I was fascinated by it. I was so fascinated. I remember sitting there and I would read it over and over and over again. And I think it's so hilarious now that that's what this book is because I just remember that phase of being so fascinated by what my body was going to do, about to do, and beyond that, one day having children. But I had so many unanswered questions and she wasn't necessarily, mum wasn't necessarily able to answer them, A, because it was maybe inappropriate, um, or B, because she didn't have the tools to do that. And so I think, you know, so often we're not told the facts and it gets swept under the carpet for whatever reason. And so being able to, to have a resource that either a mother or a woman can read to learn about herself so that when the time is right to teach her daughter and son about the inner workings of a woman's body uh it's just a really different a way of approaching it and it's I think we've done this for all of time up until maybe birth control I don't know I don't know when it became inappropriate but we mm. lost touch with ourselves and I think we lost touch with you know women's communities and circles and we stopped talking about it I totally agree and when I think about matrescence and this really ignored transformation that a woman goes through as she moves through early stages of motherhood. I wonder whether the way that we've always whispered and been ashamed of talking about what happens to a woman when when a girl becomes a woman and different stages of being a woman, that's also affecting the way women feel about how their body changes when they're a mother or how they're questioning themselves and all of these different stages. If we teach a girl when she's young that the changes that are happening to her should be kept a secret, should definitely not be spoken about in front of dad, should be ashamed of, should be hidden, then we're teaching her right from that beginning of time that all of these seasons and changes of her body are something to be ashamed of. Absolutely. I think that that is really common. And I I remember my mum, I can tell you exactly where I was, and this was so not her intention, but it, it, it stayed with me for life. We were on holidays and I was getting changed into my swimmers to go swimming. And I remember mum saying, can you please not do that in front of your dad? It's not appropriate. And I was so embarrassed to think I had no inhibition until that point in time. And I was so embarrassed because obviously my body was changing. I was developing breasts and hair in places and whatever. And I was mortified. I was like, oh my goodness, it's not, that's not appropriate. Like I just, you know, there would be, if there was this evolution of a conversation that was organic and evolved over time, and I think it would be very different. But I think in my experience, it was, I turned a certain age and it was like a whole lot of bombshells were dropped within a certain few few years uh, that there was no preparation for. Um, We didn't talk about it. And so I do say to mothers all the time because they say, you know, when when is it appropriate to start to talk 
to our daughters specifically is the question I get asked, even though I think it's at boys as well, we can enrol them in this. When's it appropriate to start to talk about this? And I say, from the minute they start to ask you questions, because they're ready, they're curious, they're asking, and you don't need to give them a full-blown <laughs> description of the account of what's, you know, going on. You don't need to tell them the intimacies of, of you know, private time with your partner. But I think if we're not telling them, and you know, the facts, then we're doing a disservice to our knowledge and, and our health over time. So, you know, I say to parents, all right, your da- daughter's three or four and she's like, how did the baby get in your tummy, mummy? And, you know, you might say things like, well, daddy has sperm and mummy has an egg and the sperm and the egg need to meet. And that's when a baby is made and it grows in, you know, my tummy. And when it's time's right, then the baby will come out, you know, not the doctor put it there or the stork delivered you or because it's lying. It's, it's, you know, it's setting ourselves up for mistruths, which I think there's too many of anyway. And, you know, it's, it's been interesting. I don't feel like I spoke to my daughter early enough now in hindsight. I really wished that there was more, but however, it was definitely earlier than I was delivered the information and, you know, it's been very interesting to, to go through that with her. Given my background and what I do, she's not a worldly child. So, you know, we start, I remember one day she came home from school and she said to me, oh, mum, uh, I've got one word for you. And I said, oh, what's that? And she said, period. And I was like, okay, um, did you talk about this at school today? And she said, Yes. And I said, oh, okay. And was it with your friends? Because I'm thinking, okay, where's this information coming from? And she said, no, it wasn't with my friends. The teachers, we talked about it with the teachers. And I said, okay, so what did you learn? And she said, well, I learned that my period's coming. I definitely need to have period undies and a pad in a Ziploc bag so that it's there ready for when it comes. Because mum, you know, it's coming really soon. And I said, oh, is it? Okay. Um, And she says to me, yes, because (laughs) she said, yes, it's coming because well, you told me I've been moody and that's what happens when you get your period, you get moody. <laughs> I said, okay. And then she said, now, the other thing, mum, I'm really, um, I don't know that I really want it to happen because my teachers told me that it's probably going to be painful. I'm probably not going to feel very well and um, that it's probably a little bit embarrassing. And I was like, oh, my goodness, we need to change this landscape. I said, sweetheart, First of all, I can promise you I'll do everything I can to make sure that your period's not painful. That's what mummy does for work. So you don't need to worry about that at all. Um, and I said, secondly, it's not, it doesn't have to be awful. It's something that's not, you're not going to have it all the time. Like it was just everything that I didn't want her to think her period was going to be was that's what she was told it was going to be. Mm. And that makes a big impression on a young woman. That's what she remembers. And so until she gets it, that's what she's possibly going to think um, it's going to be like. And well, I'm here to say, no, it doesn't have to be. And if it is, we need to fix that. So, you know, it's just these conversations and they're gentle and they're, they're an evolution. But I remember, sorry, my point in telling you that was that she had never, we talked about the lining coming away We'd never spoken about it being blood before and we'd never given it a name because she hadn't been curious enough to ask. Mm -hmm. And this is when she was about eight or nine. So what's interesting is 
when she came home, I said, oh, we've actually spoken about this before. Remember how I said to you that the lining comes away every once a month? You know, actually I went further back than that. I said the egg gets released and if that's not fertilised, then the lining comes away. She was like, oh. I said, yeah, that's what the period is, you know. And so, again, this evolution of a conversation for when the time is right and that she's ready so that it's not a bombshell. I think that's so important. And also I think... It's, it's the importance of having these conversations with your sons too. You mentioned that this is not just something that we whisper in secret women's business now, that we need to be having this conversation with and around our sons, possibly in a different way, but this needs to be um, something we're okay to talk about. I remember, and this might sound silly, but I remember it took me so long to feel not embarrassed to talk to my husband about my period when I had it, how I was feeling. Because in my family growing up, I have two sisters, it was something my dad would literally go, oh, we're going to talk about that, are we? And gets up and leaves the table. You know, it was not discussed. It was not discussed. And so until I was in a long-term serious relationship, I'd never mentioned the P word to a male. Now that is, it Mm. was just... So many of these stories that we have teaches us to to feel so differently about who we are and that is so important. Every day, Nat, I work with mamas who are trying so much to figure out who they are and understand themselves and understand why at a certain time of the month they just want to divorce their partner and then at another times of the month they desperately want another baby why they feel so volatile, why they don't like who they are anymore, all of these deeper questions. If we taught girls from an early age to learn to understand themselves and their cycles and their hormones, all of this would be different. Absolutely. You know, I have the majority of the conversations with Olivia in front of Geordie, whether he's listening or not. I don't mind if he's not listening, but it's happening in front of him. Um, especially some of these more, you know, over the years, the more lighter, less intense conversations. But I definitely have done that on purpose. And the other day he did turn around and goes, hey, mum, what is a period anyway? <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's seven and it was really cute. I was like, oh, yeah, mate, we can have a conversation about that. It's something that a girl gets, you know, it's important and went through that. But I think just it being open, like you said, and Chris, is, my husband, is kind of floating around in the background when these conversations are happening and we live in the smallest house ever, so there's no, there's nowhere private. Um, and I don't, and I actually quite love that. I think that, I, I mean, I certainly didn't have those conversations. And if I put information up about a period or anything like that on Facebook, my dad will often say, oh, could you not do that? And I'm like, do you not know what I do for work? Like, or that's part of the problem as to why we feel the way that we do. And look, I understand that not everybody has the confidence to speak about that, nor do they want to, and that's fine. But I think, I still think that the knowledge, regardless of whether you're confident to speak about it or not, should, should, it's, it's every woman's God-given right to understand their body. You know, whether you want to talk about it or not is another thing. So being educated, being provided with truthful, factual information that doesn't have missing bits is so important. Someone messaged me the other day on Instagram and just said, I thought of you, Nat, I was having, I was at the beauty therapist and I was talking with the beautician 
granted she was 21, but I said something about, oh, I'm ovulating, and she turned around and said, what is that? Oh. So it's still not there. This information's still not out there. You know, if we're talking about a woman who's 21, I mean, but I see grown women who are wanting to have a baby that won't know what that is either. They'll say, what's ovulation? Or I'm so mortified that I didn't know that I needed to ovulate to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And, and why would you if you've been on the pill for 20 years? Why would you? You know, it's not your fault if you don't know this, no one ever taught you. Um, and you've never had to think about it before. So there's a lot of gaps that are still missing and, you know, there might be some people listening going, oh, this is common knowledge, but it's, it's still not for everybody. It's empowering for us to be able to understand how we work too, which is what I think is really important that uh, and what we, I want to be able to hand down to my children is to understand where I am and how I feel at different times, understand the way I work. You know, around ovulation time is I am really not great. I find I get really um, short-tempered and I'm much more on the edge around ovulation. Around my period, I'm actually quite, um, I just want to be with my family. I feel really homey and just want cuddles and I'm so I've figured that out over the last few years to understand that about myself and what that brought was when I feel like everyone is getting on my nerves instead of judging myself or feeling really bad or going into guilt about it I pause and I think to myself oh yeah what time of the month it is oh that's what's going on right this is what I need to do for it yeah, it's so, this is what I'm saying, your body's always talking to you. We're just not necessarily tuned into what it is saying, but it's always there. Um, and like you said, you know, even when it comes to being intimate, um, we did this amazing interview for one of my um, series, women's series, and we spoke to this amazing um, woman who specialises, I think she calls herself a sexologist or anyway, something to that description. She was saying about how we even, how we want to be touched changes from day to day. No no wonder men have (laughs) so confused. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yesterday probably isn't going to work tomorrow. You know. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Right. Mm. Because these ebbs and flows, they're always there. And then you can add in you know, the amplification of a bad day or something else happening or, I don't know, the moon. (laughs) There's so many other facets where like cycles within cycles within cycles. So, you know, we need, I think if you're listening to that and you're like, oh, that's just all too hard, I'm so overwhelmed, just ask yourself how you feel and look at where you are in your menstrual cycle and take it from there, like you're saying. And that can be enough to, to give you some insight as to, why you're doing what you're doing, why you're saying or thinking what you're thinking, you know, and to bring it back to you, you know, what is my body telling me? Not being reactive. Exactly. The days of assuming that a woman will show up the same every day of the week, every week of the year, you know, from nine till five on Monday to Friday and be the same. It needs to change. We have to honour that we don't work like that. We have to have these different times and different uh, support to be able to be uh, the best we can be. And that's okay. This whole 
idea that we need to be robots, that we can't be emotional or changing at all. It has to change. I'm really passionate about that. I 100% agree with that. You know, um, we don't have to be happy all of the time. That was definitely our mother's generation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Had to be happy all the time. And it's been, what's been really interesting actually saying that is my, um, my husband grew up in a household where his mother was that happy all the time. He didn't know what, you know, it was like to have, he, he didn't, a confrontation or a challenging discussion it was very much that for him at the very beginning, so challenging because he just didn't realise that we're emotional beings. <laughs> we're not always happy all the time and that's okay. But it's just very interesting. And even just acknowledging that, like if you were brought up in a household where everything was bunny lambs and roses, the the disservice on the other side to that is what happens when reality actually kicks in. Like it's lovely to grow up, I guess, to a degree like that, but it's not reality we we do have ebbs and flows and and so I think yeah the more we can talk about that also we're not living at the same time as our mothers did and the pressure that we have the lack of community I think a lot of us are experiencing um and and the fact that we probably most of us or a lot of us um are working mums and I'm not saying anyone's harder than the other. I'm actually a better mother for working, let me tell you right now. I'm a much nicer mother for working. Mm-hmm. I look at my friends that are stay-at-home mums, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I don't actually envy you. <laughs> That's a big job. Um, I have help, job. you know. I have help. I need help. I can't do it on my own. Um, we're not living at the same time. So I would, I would think that they had definitely had the same challenges, but I think as are amplified because we are trying to be everything to everybody all the time. Exactly. Mm. Yes. We have the split identity of Mm. these different roles that we have to manage and show up in. And a lot of those roles are expected to be a role where we're very masculine. We show up the same every day. We're productive. We're focused, all of that. And actually that's not how we work. So for the women that are listening who really resonate with, wow, I haven't been listening to my body. I haven't been taking note of where I am Um, in this season of my life or in this cycle of the month and I really want to start learning this partly first of all for myself so I can practice more compassion and healing towards myself but also then I can pass this on to my children how do we start well it starts with exactly that we need to learn what we don't no, and how do you know what you don't know until you start to do that? I think starting with exploring, just tapping into how you're feeling on any given day of your cycle, I think is really powerful. And I think this is the one thing missing for so many women is that they don't understand their menstrual cycle. They really don't. They, they've never thought about it before. That idea has never been introduced to them before. Um, you definitely, it's okay to feel like you just want to stay at home on the couch the day before or the day of your period. Whether you can do that or not is another thing, but it also means that you can schedule less at that time if you need to. Um, You don't have to go to the gym. You don't have to, you know, burn the candle at both ends. You can make some choices around that. And just so just tapping in, I think, to that to begin with. And then, again, you can look at what your signs and symptoms are and are they consistent? Do you have a headache every day or do you actually only have a headache for three days of the month in the lead-up to your period? Even though you feel like you have it every day, 
maybe it's actually not and start to learn what you know why is that happening to me what else could be at play and and really I think tap into that but you know we did some research around women understanding themselves obviously to be able to educate their their daughters and we asked the question do you know the difference between your vagina and your vulva and you weren't allowed to google it you just had to tell me yes or no and 40% of grown women didn't know the difference between the inside and the outside, which yeah. tells me that we've got a lot of work to do, you know. Um, and if we're trying to teach our daughters, um, how can we if we don't know? So I think starting with that is a really great place, getting very curious about your body wisdom, your signs and symptoms, and understanding the ebbs and flows. And I guess if you are on some type of hormonal birth control, then you're not maybe going to have the same ebbs and flows, but still being curious as to maybe you know what your signs and symptoms are when you're not medicated and looking at what that can be and fixing that piece of the puzzle um, anyway, I think is, is very important. But I would definitely start there and there are so many resources obviously I've written beautiful you for that that reason as well to help women understand everything from emotions through to physical symptoms and uh, as well as known reproductive or gynecological challenges you know what else can we learn from that and then the other thing that we need to be really mindful of I think is setting ourselves up for the rest of our lives because most of us still got a lot of that to live so um you know, how do we do that so that the transition through our 40s and 50s is far more smooth? Because if we've got challenges when in our 20s and 30s, unless we do something about it, it's not going to get any better. Mm, that's right. Moving into the next season, menopause, those problems I'm assuming will only be exacerbated. Yeah, I think we're seeing a heightened uh, epidemic. <laughs> and, and, you know, let's just get that clear, menopause isn't a disease or a, a um, condition. It's a, just a transition. Mm-hmm. But it comes with symptoms and I guess we can put it in very quickly, start to think about it as our body working against us. Um, it shouldn't be the case and most women find that they're not transitioning easily through menopause because they're so stressed and under so much pressure. Your ovaries are supposed to pass on the majority of their job to your adrenals but your adrenals are what secrete your stress hormones so if you're constantly stressed for whatever reason remembering stress isn't just being worried or busy but it could be you're not assimilating nutrients properly or um you you know um, emotional health isn't in check or it can be so many factors your environment's not great um if your adrenals can't do that they're just going to push back and be like you've got to be kidding me not today and that can go on for years and years and years and so you know, the number one thing I see with women nowadays is, oh, I've been, tra- I've, I've had hot flushes for five years. It shouldn't be like that. It should be, a, a, you know, from one year to the next, a transition that happens pretty quickly. So, looking again at the clues to help with that, to then be able to support the body better, to allow your body to transition. It's not about giving it medication. It's about using, you know, key key vitamins and minerals and whatever else you need to set your body up so it can move through that phase. Wow. So I feel like the last thing I want to ask you then is what is your practices, your support that you do around, you know, every month, every day, whatever you want to share with us to ensure that your body moves through these cycles smoothly how do you do that 
It's a very good question because I think um, it has been a particularly stressful year and really trying to work out strategies around that has been very, I've had to do that. Um, And, you know, I guess when your period goes missing, and that's a really key sign that there's definitely something else at play. So, Thankfully, mine hasn't gone missing, so I know that it's, I, haven't, I haven't tipped right over. But just being aware of, of where stress shows up. So for me, you know, sleep's never been an issue in my life until recently, and that's because stress has spilled into sleep. And so being aware of that as well, what else can I do? So, you know, I like to keep things as simple as possible, especially when we are overwhelmed or in a state of a lot of pressure and anxiety. One of the key, uh, and, and again, you know, you'll listen to people and most of them probably don't have children or their children are older, which will be like, so this is my morning routine. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, come on. <laughs> I have two children. I don't know if I'm going to wait before them or they're going to wait before me or what. how's that going to play out. So I guess I've got a couple of key things that I do. Um, I, I definitely try and have just five minutes of at some point if I wake before the kids of just stillness um, where I just really sit with what the feelings and emotions are that are coming up for me and really asking myself the question, what happens if this problem, challenge, whatever it is, was put here to help me get what I want and what would that look like and really visualising that. So I try and do that. And I, I'm actually better at doing it when I am more stressed than when I'm in a, a more positive state. Mm. Um, so that's one thing I do try and do. The other thing that I is a non-negotiable pretty much 365 days of the year is that I, I, I do practice intermittent fasting, um, which I just find is a game changer for so many women. Um, and that is that I, I generally will, you know, have a period of resting my digestive system from dinner through to, uh, I don't know, anywhere from mid-morning to lunchtime or sometimes a little bit later depending. Um, it's not about not eating food. It's about everything that your gut gets to do when you're not eating food. And so this recovery, this is when we make hormones, we repair our gut, um, we kind of, you know, we create stem cells, we know we reduce inflammation. Um, That alone is a total game changer. And often when we're in a state of stress and overwhelm, we're not hungry anyway or we're hungry for the wrong foods. And so it, it, by doing this, it means I can just sit my, set myself up and then when it's time to eat, really just sit and eating and really enjoying whatever that is, getting myself into a mode of digestion because often we eat, we're in fight or flight and you can't digest in fight or flight. Your body quickly tells you that um, through various ways. So those two things for me um, have really been a core, their core practices. And if I can, if I stick to just those two things, um, that really, really helps. I don't have an elaborate supplement regime. If I am under stress, I might take some magnesium or, but I try and do as much as I can through diet and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And the other one thing that I do is move my body. So, um, you know, depending on whatever that is, I try and do that at least three times a week and I know I feel better for doing that one you know gone are the days that I could do I could exercise every every day because my children's demands are 
they're great, you know, and but I do prioritise. My husband and I both prioritise that as well, either together or we'll send one off and then the other one off because we know it just makes life better as well. So I guess those three things, they're not necessarily revolutionary, but the basics work, you know, and I think we often are looking for this... Um, this new thing, what's this new thing that I need to do? You know, what is it that I've been missing out of? I have patients that will come and I'll say, you're okay, we just need to make some fine tuning or some tweaking and they'll be disappointed because I haven't found this <laughs> grand problem. <laughs> That's right. But it is the core pillars. It's right. meditation, and so, food and movement. Right. And, and if I do those things, then I do sleep better and, and I do have better recovery and I am a nicer person and my emotions are generally more in check. And, and so, yeah, I think by I, being able to do those things keeps me at least with kind of a more level playing field anyway. Love it. And just a quick technical question because I'm sure we'll get emails asking, with the intermittent fasting, how often would you do that? So I've written about it on my website if anyone is interested. Oh, great. And just jump, yeah, jump on there. Um, There's various forms. There's various types. What I say to patients is it can be really overwhelming and, you know, we're so conditioned to think we have to eat Mm -hmm. breakfast, lunch and dinner. And we often find it really confronting and, and I resisted for a really long time. I was like, that goes against everything I've ever learnt when it comes to our hormones. But the research and what we're seeing and actually just the positive changes that I've seen within patients in the clinic is undoubtable. Like I t- can't tell you how much, much of a game changer it is. If I could get every patient to intermittent fast, they probably wouldn't need me, truly. Wow. <laughs> um, and so... I get patients to start with what we call crescendo fasting where they'll do two or three days out of seven where you'll have your 16-hour overnight fast. So your eating window becomes around eight hours. Um, and it, 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 this is the other reason I love it, and this isn't, this isn't a licence to go and eat whatever you, the heck you like, but you can get away with being a little bit more relaxed with your diet when you are doing that. I don't like the word diet. I guess nutrition is better. Um, but, you know, you can get away with, you know, <laughs> being a little bit flexible, more flexible when you're doing that. Um, so, yeah, so it ends up being, you know, dinner is dinner. And I don't, I'm really, truly not fixated. A lot of people get very fixated with the times. Oh, 16 hours to the minute, that is not me. If you were to eat at 14 hours one day and 17 the next or whatever it is, that's fine. Um, the research indicates that after 12 hours we start to see the benefits. So most of us should be doing 12 hours, 7 till 7, let's say, 7 yes. p.m. till 7 a.m. That is so achievable. That so is. achievable, right? Mm. Um, but the closer you can get to 16, that's when we see the maximum benefits. And there's also research around, you know, um, fasting for longer periods. I don't generally get patients to do that, but we have done that throughout all of history for whether it's been religious purposes, health benefits. We've done, we've fasted forever. It's just we've given it a fancy name now. <laughs> and written um, lots of books about it. <laughs> right. So, um, so 16 hours overnight is what we would be aiming for. And then you've got your eight hours. Now, women will either say, do I need to cram a whole lot of food into that eight hours? What am I eating in that eight hours? I say, just eat what you'd like to eat. Don't overeat. You don't need to binge. You don't need to cram it all in. Mm. You're not probably going to keel over 
if you haven't eaten. Um, and I find what's really interesting now is I can go really long periods of time where I just don't even think about it, where I was once that person, if I didn't have a snack in my handbag or I didn't know what the next meal was, I would freak out. Yes. I would be like, ooh, what's next? And my husband, he started fasting probably in the last six months. But up until that time, I found it really interesting because, again, it used to be me where he would say to me, oh, it'd be, it'd be mid-morning, and he'd say, what are we doing for dinner? And I'd be like, mm. really? Who cares? Like, <laughs> we'll work it out. No one's going to, like, no one's going to keel over. We'll be fine. But he was constantly thinking about it because he was constantly feeding it. And if we're constantly feeding our gut, we, we really don't get to tune into everything else that's going on. And so this is the other thing I really love is that you can really tune into your gut feeling, your intuition, what's going to be best for you when it's not, you know, overcrowded in there. Wow. Um, yeah, so I find that things, your thought processes change, everything changes. You just please try it on. Um, but look at that, that, that post that I've written because it tells you the different types and why you need to do it and how to do it. Okay, we'll link that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. That's really fantastic. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. Amazing. As we predicted, you and I could talk for days. <laughs> and traverse many different topics so um but I think the main message here is just that we have this beautiful complicated body that is sending us signals that is explaining why we're feeling certain ways at certain times and it really is our job as mamas to begin to explore, as you said, Nat, be curious about, I wonder why it's like this. I wonder what my body's trying to tell me because we have to be able to hand this down to the next generation. So I'm so grateful for all the work that you do. Thank you. Yeah, and just listening to your body. And if you're confused, again, uh, on my website there's a worksheet. It's literally simple it's not confronting but if you're confused about where to start or what you especially if you've got symptoms um jump on there and it just lists things and it kind of helps you to categorize and work out what might be at play for you because also the other thing that we didn't touch on but I will say this our daughters are generally a carbon copy of us mm-hmm. so if you've got known challenges then they're likely to have known challenges and you can stop that you can actually symptoms are just a response to the environment that we put our body into so by changing the environment, whatever that might be, then we can turn off those symptoms. It's, it's, it can be as simple as that. So just using wow. that wisdom as well I think is really powerful. And coming back to that, your body's always talking to you. Just it's time to listen. Wow. I love that. Thank you. Thanks so much, Nat. Thank you for having me. Oh, as I said... Nat and I could talk forever about this topic. You can hear how passionate we both are about changing the way women feel about themselves, their bodies, these beautiful, continuous transformations we go through. As a woman, you evolve every year. You change, your hormones change, your priorities change. Every month, your hormones change, your priorities change. At sometimes you feel brave and ready to take on the world and at other times you want to retreat. And that's all okay. If we're to change the way our daughters feel about themselves as women and mothers, we need to change the way they feel about their physical bodies and how beautiful it actually is to be a woman and a mama. 
please share this podcast far and wide. This conversation is too important not to spread. Until next week, Satnam. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.